we are in a long, uh, a long section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, kind of the core section of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is is teaching some some of his own interpretations of the law. And we started out saying that Jesus is not abolishing the law; he's fulfilling it. In other words, he is uh, he's not saying the law is no good. He, he's just taking it to the place where it needs to go. Um, and uh, he, he makes, at the end of the intro to this section, he says that uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, which would have been crazy, none of them could imagine anyone for, uh, even surpassing, even getting to the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. And then Jesus gives these six teachings. We did three last week. We're doing three this week, where he says, you've heard it said of the prophets of old, or you've heard it said, but I say to you, which is crazy in and of itself, too. I mean, uh, no rabbis would have taught this way. Um, you always quoted other rabbis and other schools of thought, but Jesus has the authority to say, but I say to you. And last week, we, we looked at how, yes, uh, murder is bad, but so is anger. Adultery is bad, but so is lust. Divorce is bad, but so is broken relationship. And, and I made a big deal about this. That Jesus isn't just taking the, the rules and putting the bar higher. He, he's actually taking them deeper into your heart, into your attitude, into your relationships. And in last week, talking about how um, Jesus is not playing the same games that we often play. The games of being good enough, the games of knowing enough, and, and the games of comparing ourselves to other people. That's not the way Jesus is talking about our relationship with God talks about it in a way that changes our hearts and then today he's gonna keep going with the next three of these antitheses again not really antithetical to the Old Testament but the I I say to you passages and let me just say that these are important these these three today are often misinterpreted and so um, so you really need to think about how you approach the Bible. I wish sometimes, and a lot of people seem to, that the Bible was just a bunch of rules and tell me what puts me in and what puts me out. Give me the, give me the standards. Give me the checklist. What the Bible actually does is call us to wisdom, applied knowledge. So we have to decide, we have to discern from the Holy Spirit how to follow these guidelines, these standards in different situations. So that theme of wisdom is going to be important today. So let's unpack this by looking at these scriptures. First, uh, we're in Matthew 5. I'm going to start in verse 33 and read the first part about oaths. Again, you have heard it said to those, uh, it was said to those of old, this is the longer intro, introing the, the, the second triad. You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it was the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more come than this comes from evil. Now, we're not used to saying oaths unless we're sworn in in court or something like that. Um, I took uh, oaths when I became a pastor, when we became an elder or a deacon. 
But we don't really swear. We have contracts and have different ways of doing it. But in the ancient world, an oath was part of your legal code. You would get together before, uh, before the, uh, the council, before the judges of the town, and uh, you would make a pledge. You'd make an oath, and you'd have to stick by that oath. And, and in the Old Testament, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Psalms, all talk about this, that you should not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. In the Old Testament, God speaks the world into existence. His ongoing work in the world is called the Word. And so when you gave your word, it meant something. So you had to follow through on uh, what you made an oath to do. So Jesus, I don't think he's actually saying that you can't make an oath like you go to court or something like that. What he's saying is be careful about your oath. Be careful what you say because you need to be, uh, you need to have what, what, what we've traditionally called integrity. Uh, from the word integer, meaning whole. You need to follow through on what you're going to say. I think Jesus is pointing even deeper to say, be careful what you say. Be true to what you say. Maybe another way to say it is like this. Don't live a life with a bunch of disclaimers. Have you ever had somebody say this to you? Say, I don't mean to be mean, but... Dot, dot, dot. I'm not a racist, but... Dot, dot, dot. I, I, don't, I don't want to be political, but, well, then you're about to be political if you have an intro like that. What, what would it take to just be honest? Just say what you mean. Recently, CBS did a show called Star Trek Picard, based on Jean-Luc Picard, the captain of the Enterprise in the show Star Trek uh, Enterprise, or Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, Picard mentors a young man, man in the show named Elnor, and Elnor was raised by the Tal Shiar, a group of Romulan nuns and warriors. Now, I'm sorry. If you're not a nerd like me, that may not make the same amount of sense to you. Um, but what's interesting in the show is that these nuns that raised this boy, Elnor, practice this thing they call absolute candor. Absolute candor, which just basically means whatever they mean, they say. Whatever they're thinking, they're saying. And in the show, it, Elnor, the character, drives everybody else crazy because they're not used to that kind of, of absolute candor. I think what Jesus is calling us to is, is absolute candor, being, being totally honest. Now the trick is, and people often bring this up, well what if you're in a situation where you need to lie? Let's say you're a Christian hiding Jews in Nazi Germany and you're asked if you're hiding Jews in your home. See this is where wisdom comes in. You've got to understand where the principles apply in every situation. You've got to be discerning deciding in every moment what Christ is calling you to do. Wisdom is to be applied here, but the overall principle is be careful what you say, be careful what you swear to, and follow through on it. Follow through on it. Don't swear falsely, and if, if you've got to make a promise, be careful making promises, because you've got to follow through as a Christian. Then Jesus takes the argument a little bit further into the idea of retaliation. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
Jesus is here quoting Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, the idea of an eye for an eye. It's often called traditionally the lex talionis. Lex meaning law, talionis meaning uh, kind. And it's a, a legal principle basically saying uh, that the, the, the law needs to enforce, justice needs to be enforced in kind. If you steal something from me, I can't put you to death. Okay, the, the punishment must fit the crime. That's what we often say. But the Jesus way is not one of justice by earthly standards. Grace goes far beyond. And some rabbis would even teach about forgiveness, but Jesus takes it further. First, when someone harms you and slaps you, you turn the other cheek. You receive that. You don't have to defend yourself because you know where you are with Christ. Don't retaliate. Second, if you're sued or going to, to court uh, for a tunic, give them your cloak as well. Try to settle before you go to court. The third one relates to the demands of the Roman Empire. A Roman soldier could force someone from occupied territory like the Jews to carry their burden, their backpack, their whatever, for one mile, but no further than a mile. Jesus says if you're forced to carry for one mile, go the extra mile, a phrase that we still use in our culture today. And then when someone begs, when someone wants to borrow, um, give, be generous. Okay, don't, don't just always be looking for a big return, but be kind, be gracious. Don't demand retribution, retaliation. Give, give of yourself, give selflessly. These radical words of Jesus have been debated for centuries, right? Is there a time to fight back? When do you rebel? When do you need to fight for justice? But a Jesus kind of life wonders in the, the wisdom of the moment, how do I find peace? How do I give of myself? Remember the example of Jesus here, that he does get angry and turns over the money changers' tables. He takes on the Pharisees and the scribes, but he, but he also takes on the cross. He accepts the violence to stop other violence. He takes the shame of the crucifixion to, to eliminate the humiliation of others. In the kingdom of Jesus, sometimes we sacrifice ourselves for the good of other people. And then he pushes the argument one step further, and, and these words are just crazy when you try to live by them. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, you're supposed to love your neighbor. That's a biblical principle. Jesus quotes that biblical principle from Leviticus 19.18. But, but you've heard it said, love your enemy, you love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Jesus goes on, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? It's easy to love somebody that you like. In fact, the, the Old Testament interpretation that was going around in Jesus' day was often that loving your neighbor meant you didn't have to love anybody who wasn't your neighbor. And the neighbors were often interpreted as the people like you, fellow Jews. So you were supposed to love your fellow Jews, but you weren't supposed to, you didn't have to love by the law standard those who were Gentiles. 
But Jesus pushes that law to say, no, 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 no. Those people that you, that, that you don't like, that aren't like you, that maybe even are persecuting you, those people, you've got to love and pray for them. Jesus is not just saying to love people opposed to you. That's crazy enough. But love those who are not like you. Have you ever tried to pray for somebody who's, not, who, who, who's angry with you? Who's out to get you? Several times in my life, I've had people really come at me. And people uh, oppress and, and really attack me. And man, I want to wish ill will on those people. But I tell you what, when I can start to pray for my enemies is actually when they have no more power over me. When I can actually pray for that person and wish well for them. That's when they have no more power over me. I'm free from the demands of that broken relationship. And this is so hard when you're wrong. It's so difficult when you're truly justified in being angry and seeking uh, revenge. And again, wisdom has to be here because sometimes... You need to go after um, some kind of justice. Something needs to be made right. And if you don't defend yourself, you end up allowing others uh, to be harmful to, to others who are not you. So wisdom is important here. But, but the way of Jesus is the way of turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, giving of yourself. And this brings us to the last verse of this section and of Matthew chapter 5. It says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now this verse is absolutely crazy. Okay, How can we possibly be perfect? Well, part of the trick is that that word that's translated perfect doesn't mean perfect the way we typically think it does. The word is teleos. Teleos. And it means more like completed, whole, comes to an end. So, so it, it means that, that whatever the action is, it's completed. In fact, there's a tense in, uh, in languages called the perfect tense. It's action done in the past, but that's been completed. That's what Jesus is saying. Not that you have to be perfect in every way, but to come to the end. Come to the conclusion. Let the work of Christ come down into your heart, into your life, into your relationship. Let that whole thing work out within you. Jesus is calling you and I to teleosity, to the, to the perfection, the wholeness, the completeness of ourselves. But, um, Jesus wants our following of God to be complete, to be whole, to be in every part. And it's so often if I'm angry, if I'm upset, if, uh, if I've promised something, if I'm at, it's so easy to have these certain parts of our heart that we haven't quite let God take complete control of. Certain relationships that we haven't radically let be redeemed and reconciled based on Christ's love. So, so often we, we don't have the kind of full honesty, absolute candor that we need to have. And it hurts us when we can't have hard conversations, when we can't love our neighbor and love our enemy and love those who are different than us. I mean, Jesus' words spoken 2,000 years ago, I mean, this is right where we are as a country. Martin Luther used to talk about how our private life, when it's properly ordered, reforms our public life. That's what Jesus is actually doing in this Sermon on the Mount. He's pushing past the public life, 
like I, it's not all about just if you don't have anger, if you don't, if you don't, or if you don't have murder, you don't have adultery, and you you just stick with your oaths. It, you have to go deeper into your heart, teleosity, all the way down to completion, completing the change of Christ in you, so that every part of you is under the rule of Christ. Jesus in, in teaching these uh, sometimes strong and outlandish things about about being perfect and about not lusting at all and not having any anger and forgiving everybody. He's trying to inspire the imagination of you and I to live to a different kind of life. To answer this summons of Jesus to this kind of completion and this kind of perfection would mean giving up everything. And of course, that's the call.